Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, listeners, I've got 28 seconds for this little promo before the episode begins. So for those of you in the Paris area who'd like to come and see me do stand-up comedy, uh, first of all, my uh, show at the British Council, my storytelling thing is fully booked. Uh, You might come along... Uh, but it's unlikely that there'll be spaces available. But you can still see me do stand-up uh, on the 24th of May, Tuesday the 24th of May. I'm doing a show called The English Comedy Show, and it's at the Pan Am uh, Art Café that is uh, or near Republique. Okay, you'll find the link in the description. You can see me do 20 minutes of stand-up comedy. It's hosted by Sarah Donnelly. It'll be lots of fun. Come along at the Pan Am Art Café, Tuesday the 24th of May at 8.30. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks, and welcome to the podcast. That's Hello, Folks. Okay, I have to probably clarify that sometimes because I often start episodes by saying, Hello, folks, welcome to the podcast. And I've realized that some of you don't know what folks is. In fact, some of you think I'm saying, Hello, fucks. Like, uh, you know, like, hey, fucks, like I'm from like New Jersey or something, you know, like I'm from Brooklyn. Hey, fucks, welcome to the fucking podcast. Uh, so now it's not that, it's folks, F-O-L-K-S. It, it sort of means people, basically. And it's not a fox. I'm not talking to a fox. Hey, fox, uh, welcome to the podcast. That would be strange, wouldn't it? If I, when I recorded my episodes, if I imagined I was talking to a fox, That's the key, that's the secret to Luke's English podcast, is that I imagine I talk to a fox. No, I'm not talking to a fox. It's folk. Hello, folks. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, This episode is called Boats and Murder, but Mostly Murder. And the reason for that will become clear as uh, you listen to it. So this episode features Moz, my friend Moz, who is a podcaster, a storyteller, and a historian, a, a kind of true crime historian. Moz does the Murder Mile True Crime podcast. You might remember him from previous episodes. Long-term listeners might be thinking, "Ah, oh, yes, Moz, it's been a while since he was on the show. So yes, he is a returning guest. Moz is a friend of mine that I've known for ages. We first met each other doing stand-up comedy in London back in 2009. So Moz is back. And yes, he is a returning guest. Sometimes he comes on the podcast to tell us some true stories of crimes in the London area, often murder. And that's what is going to happen in this episode. So Moz has got some new stories that he's been researching, which he's going to tell us about. And also, uh, at the end of the episode, you will hear a sort of interactive online detective murder mystery thing where Moz and I see if we can actually solve uh, a murder on a boat. Okay, so boats and murder, that's what this is all about. Okay, now, um, because we're going to be talking about crimes and talking about murder, there are some fairly graphic details in this episode, as you would expect from a true crime podcast. And that means... 
some descriptions of violence, murder, gory details, and so on. So you might want to bear that in mind before you start listening. But I think with Moz, we are in safe hands, and um, Moz has got a knack for describing these stories with an appreciation for the people involved in each case. There's always a there's always a human story involved, which is what Moz tends to focus on. It's not just gory details for their own sake. Uh, but anyway, there are some fairly explicit details ahead, so watch out if you are a bit squeamish. Squeamish. This means that you don't like blood and guts and, you know, looking at those things or hearing about think those things makes you feel very uncomfortable. That's squeamish. S-Q-U-E-A-M-I-S-H. So if you don't like the sight of blood, if it makes you faint or something, then we might say that you're a bit squeamish. Okay. And um, as is normal on Luke's English podcast, there is some rambling small talk before we get to the main topic. There's probably about eight minutes of us talking about life on Moz's boat, because Moz lives on a narrow boat on England's canal network, and he moors the boat at various locations in the London area, usually. So we chat a little bit about life on Moz's boat before we get to the crime and the murder and stuff like that. So there's some small talk. Now, you might have noticed in episodes of my podcast, usually when I have a guest, that the episode will have a title, for example, Teaching Methodologies or English Teaching Methodologies with Gabriel Clark, a recent episode. Uh, But then when I start talking to the guest, there's often about 10 minutes of us chatting about seemingly unimportant things for about 10 minutes. Like, for example, the fact that that I need a haircut or whatever it is. So this is small talk. This is quite normal, really. This is a cultural thing. Uh, British people like to make small talk before getting down to business. I've noticed this not just as a British person myself, but just when communicating with people from different places, communicating with British people or communicating with other people. I've noticed that with the Brits, there is a certain amount of small talk that happens before you get down to business. You know, it's like, how's it going? How's the weather? You know, we often even will talk about our weekend or other things like that. There's normally a a bit of that stuff before you actually get down to business. So that's totally normal. And that's a cultural thing. And that's what you get from Luke's English podcast as well. You get these natural conversations that include the various social and cultural features of a conversation. Not just here is information about a specific topic, but it's actually a human conversation. Okay. And I want you to hear those small talk moments on this podcast. You know, this is a podcast for learners of English. And one of my aims is to make you listen to more natural conversations as part of your learning process. Conversations which are free flowing, which change their tone and topic, and which are not graded for lower levels. This is the idea. There's method to the madness. So keep listening. Try to follow it. Use the bits you understand to help you get through the bits you don't understand. Uh, There's no actual direct teaching in this episode. But if you want to learn crime vocabulary, for example, because that's the main topic of this episode, then you could revisit episode 531 in the archive. That is a crime vocabulary quiz with Moz. And that's a pretty full review of all the nouns and verbs associated with different kinds of crime. So that could be a good episode to check out if you like this one. Episode 531, The Crime Vocabulary Quiz. Okay, but now for some small talk about Moz's boat and some true murder stories from London, a chat about how to dispose of a body 
and an interactive online quiz to see if we can solve a murder on a boat? Just keep listening because all of that is coming up right now. In this episode, I will chat to you again briefly at the end, but now here is the jingle starting right now. Recording in progress. Ah. Recording in progress. Oh, it's horrible. Did she do that throughout? (laughs) No, just when you start and stop recording. Um, I bought some new Sony uh, Bluetooth headphones. And um, the one thing I love about them is the the sound of the woman's voice. So they're equipped with a, a sort of a robotic woman's voice. And so when I plug them in, it speaks to me, but it speaks to me in that um, that that sort of weird, creepy computer voice that you get uh, in movies. Ugh. You know, the sort of um, like it's like they're on a we're on a huge um, super intelligent spaceship, which has got a central computer. And we're at the end of the movie and like the aliens have destroyed the ship or something. And or we've set the self-destruct sequence <laughs> and it's the same voice that goes self-destruct sequence initiated oh my god you know that kind of spooky robot woman's voice calm but it's gonna kill you yeah so my 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 <laughs> headphones they say bluetooth engaged oh you know, my god it's like hal exactly yeah it's what, like what are you doing dave <laughs> <laughs> the volume seems to be very loud luke you know yeah yeah it's like um i've got this supercomputer in my headphones it sounds amazing i wonder if i can actually make it Make you hear it. If I open the headphone, take the headphone out, you might be able to hear it. <laughs> no, I'm be no, you out. can't hear it. You can't hear it. You'll just have to take my word for it. Anyway, uh, we're already sort of in full tangent mode here, talking about my stupid headphones. But um, Moz, hello, welcome back onto the podcast. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Luke. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I, th- I don't know how many times this has been now. Uh, I think we could be into double figures. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. Uh, many of your listeners who've met me in person, they go, oh, I remember you from episode. And I go, oh, dear. Well, they can oh, actually, dear. they remember the number as well. Really? No, is that what you're saying? Do they actually remember the number? No, they remember the, the fact that we were not uh, sober. <laughs> oh the drunk episode right yes. yeah there is one in the ar- archive called the drunk episode <laughs> you should hear some of the things i actually had to remove from that episode oh wow anyway wow. it's been ages since you were on the show um and so anyway how are you all right good thank you yeah keeping busy your your listeners might hear a little bit of a every so often i'm on the boat it's a bit windy uh, and the boat sometimes bangs against the side of the the canal towpath. So uh, I see, exciting. So you're actually on your boat right now. Mm, where it's are, nice. Where are you? Uh, where are you moored at the moment? I can't tell you because people, people. <laughs> so, sometimes listeners go. Uh, <laughs> one day I made the mistake of saying, like, sometimes I would say I'm in this part of East London, right? But I always know that I'm. Uh, I, I'm recording two weeks ahead, so I've, I've moved by that point. Okay. And sometimes people walk along the canal and they go, uh, they, they say to me, oh, I was in Little Venice last week looking through all the windows to see if uh, that was your boat. <laughs> and luckily I'd moved on. And then one day, uh, a gentleman I know who's really nice, he said, oh, I was in Enfield last week and I looked through the window of a boat and saw a bald man on a laptop. Well, thought, it, it could only be you. 
Except, well, he said a fat bald man. (laughs) (laughs) That narrows it down. (laughs) Yeah, clearly the only possibility is that that was you. So you've reached the the stage now as a podcaster, as a person of interest, that you have to be careful about about giving away your location. So that Mm. must mean that the, the podcast is doing well. I, I, I bumped into a listener yesterday walking through the town that I'm near, and she went, Michael. And I turned, I thought, oh, what have I done? And it, yeah, it was one of my listeners. But she recognised my voice, because uh, my face, because I do a, a YouTube channel that goes with it. Yes, that's right. It's just kind of your face in different murder locations in, in around the London area, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a murder location and then just your face there explaining. It's good. My big face. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so good. So the mur- the murdered and boats, boats and murder. Um, so talking about the boat, have you? I mean, living on a um, a narrow boat, uh, moored there on the towpath, which is kind of like living on a boat in the city, sort of thing, isn't it? Um, mm. Have you have you had any weird encounters or weird moments uh, on the boat or relating to the boat recently? Uh, not in a while. It's it's been pretty good. I did have someone run along my roof while I was asleep. Okay. Um, although I was listening to a scary podcast at the moment, and I think I was in that special... Do you know when you're not awake, but you're not asleep? Yes. And this is the moment where your dreams kind of happen. Um, so I don't know whether someone did it, but I ran out of the door, grabbed an axe, and was running down the canal path <laughs> screaming at them, and then realised I was just wearing my pants and no one was there. <laughs> <laughs> you were just a crazed uh, axe murderer oh. in, in, in his pants. with <laughs> a, 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 a gentleman who was very drunk uh, crashed into my boat. This was, this was years ago, and I was... Um, I was fast asleep. It was a really hot night. I was just wearing my pants. I heard a crashing sound, and there'd been some break-ins near the boat, and I was kind of worried. So I ran outside. I grabbed my axe. I ran outside, and because I wear contact lenses and they weren't in, I couldn't see anything at all. All I could see was a man crouched down at the front of my boat making a banging sound. Oh, dear. And I was like, what the F, F, F are you doing? Lots of Fs and things like that. Lots of rude words. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I was like, what's going on? And he was like, ah, mate, I want the bike. He's a scouser. He, he, uh, well, I'm glad you uh, worked out that it was a scouser (laughs) accent. Uh, He was, and he kept saying, I want the bike. And the the front of the boat is where my bike is. Yeah. And I kept swearing at him. And he, he said, no, mate, I want the bike. And he wouldn't give up. So like, you don't understand with- me. I'm a scouser. I'm go- <laughs> if there's something Nigga. there, I'm going to nick it. <laughs> and I, r- I ran up to him with the axe in hand. Obviously, as mentioned, I can't see very well. And I got close to him. And I realised he wasn't getting into the front of my boat. He was looking under my boat. Uh. And I stared at him. And what's going on? He, he'd got one of those Boris bikes, those city bikes. Yeah. He was drunk. He was coming along the canal. He crashed into my boat, fell into the canal, <laughs> and he was trying to fish it out. And when I looked at him, he was in tears. Oh, no. And I felt really sorry for him. And then he, he was like, ah, oh, mate, he's clearly drunk. And he, he went, ah, oh, mate, me dad died last week, and we I've just buried him. And I was oh, like, oh, no. Oh. So I, and then he, he looked at me in the eye. He looked at the axe. And then he looked and realised I was just wearing my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Did that make him... Do you think that would make him more frightened or less frightened? 
the pants, yeah. Yeah, I think it would make him more <laughs> frightened, surely. It's like, oh my God, it's a crazy axe murderer just in his I pants. I, I felt so sorry for him. So actually, we fished out his bike, yeah. sent him on his way, and I kind of said to him, look, mate, just walk home. And he was like, oh, mate, I, I know. And he, he kind of crept away, oh. poor guy. Yeah, oh, that's um, a sad story. Um, oh, all right, well, there you go. <laughs> so, right, Moz, when, um, here's a question for you, right? Where, if you're in a taxi, I don't know if you take taxis in London very much. Nope. Uh, you don't, but you have. Nope. And you know what a taxi is, right? You've seen them. For, for my listener, a taxi is, <laughs> that's, my, that's my Luke impression. <laughs> <laughs> a taxi is a car. <laughs> so you know what a taxi is you know how they work so if you got in a taxi and the driver asked you what you do which is what they do isn't it they say they you make conversation with them and they might ask you what you do as in, in your life so if a taxi driver asks you what you do what do you say so basically what do you do that's the question <laughs> i i always say that i'm a crime historian mm. that, that's the way i like to consider myself i am a writer that's what that's primarily what i do but i think over the years i'm a crime historian so i spend a lot of time going through murder cases tr- trying to ferret out all the evidence and all the pieces and turn them into a really interesting and compelling story story so yeah and then you you go ahead and uh, tell that story on your podcast mm. or if you're doing a walk do you still do the the walking tours i, I haven't announced it yet but the walking tours are back in about oh. two months time oh very exciting so the old ones you i'd take you on like a, a two-hour journey through soho which is kind of uh west london and it's about half a square mile and the idea was i'd take you through all these streets and tell you a story but the story has a theme and it's all linked together uh i got rid of that because i was a bit bored of it but the new one is basically you as the audience mm. we meet up somewhere and i go okay where do we go and they go uh that street and i go okay and we walk down that street, and I can start telling you stories about any street. I've got wow. hundreds in my head, so uh, that's the new the new tour now. Wow, that's amazing! You can just really like every street. This has to be in what Soho or Central uh, so, London? Yeah, the, I'm going to stick to Soho. So kind of between uh, Soho and Piccadilly Circus. Yeah, um, but pretty much every street I can cover now, and most of it I can do without notes. So it's amazing. You're like a taxi driver for murder. You know, I, you know I the think way there's been a few of those, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like the way that London taxi drivers have to take this test, uh, it's called the the knowledge, right? Mm. Uh, you probably know all about it, being the knowledgeable person that you are. Um, <laughs> so that was a joke, but I didn't intend it to be. <laughs> Yay! Um, and uh, so for the test, they have to learn every single street in the city and to be able to recall exactly where it is and uh, plot out a route from their location to that street uh, in the you know quickest time so they you've got to, you've got to have like a totally encyclopedic encyclopedic knowledge of london and it seems you've got a sort of like a uh, like a murder matrix I like I like to think of myself as the kind of the fat bald equivalent of Haley Joel Osman in the Sixth Sense. <laughs> so every everywhere I walk, I see dead people. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And, and you tell people all about them. So it's it's, we- it's weird. Yeah. It can be if we walk down a street, it's it's not like one murder per street. Sometimes, sometimes it's the same building. Sometimes it's buildings next door to each other. It's 
there's a lot of connections so that's that's why i love it and the idea with the new walk is that each week i can add new stuff it can adapt if someone has already done one walk i can go right let's go north this time so uh yeah something Very different good. brilliant okay so you spend your time uh, researching murders which is a sort of a fascinating thing to have ended up doing um, I don't know if you ever expected to, to sort of be doing that <laughs> earlier in your career, no. but here you are. So, so where do you go to research your murders then? Uh, I go into the National Archives. Uh, the The National Archives is kind of, uh, listeners can think of it as kind of a, a massive library, but what happens in there if there's files like court records or historical records, if they've, if the judge has said, no, these need to be secret for 20 30 50 years because the information contained in is so important or uh, may affect people um, after a period of time they become freely available mm. and every anyone can walk in so i go in there and you get the police file you get the court records sometimes the transcript from the trial wow. uh, autopsy reports toxicology witness statements um, and yeah, you, you just dive in and it's fantastic. So what you're just looking at records of, uh, what is it, people who've been tried in court uh, for, for, for a murder? Is that right? Uh, convictions? Not, all, not always. Uh, interestingly, I'm doing a few at the moment which are inquest trials. So the, the episode that's going out at the moment, which is the two-parter, uh, the gentleman involved, I would say he definitely committed the murder involved. Uh, but he, uh, they didn't find enough evidence to try him at the inquest, mm. which means it couldn't, it couldn't progress to a criminal trial. So he was released. Oh, I see. But you still have all of the sort of evidence and stuff, uh, the details of the case. Okay. So mm. then, so after reading about all this stuff, you basically work out what's happened and turn it into a story. Is that right? Mm. I think it's a nice way to understand. My kind of idea is to tr find a way to understand human beings. Mm. And I love biographies. Biographies are great. But have you ever read a biography and you, you think to yourself, oh, this person is a bit full of themselves? Or, do you know, they want us to believe that they're very generous and kind, but we know that they're a bit of a shitbag. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. uh, it's, it's, it's like the, there's, uh, if listeners like biographies, uh, the Charlie Chaplin biography is wonderful. Mm -hmm. The first half of his life, when he was poor, he loves, and he 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 tells you so much about what you can remember, and it's really visceral and amazing. So he can remember every detail, every smell. Mm. But but when he becomes successful, he doesn't like his life as much, and he's quite bitter. So that's a very honest biography. But murder is uh, unbiased. It's it's honest. It's if let's say Luke is uh, Luke on his podcast is like oh i'm i'm luke i'm a, a lovely man everybody likes me <laughs> but deep down you're kind of like a bit bitter I'm that's a gonna come out of your exactly so if if say uh you get upset if you loan someone money and they don't pay you back you might to everyone else go no that's fine don't pay me back i'm i'm the great luke johnson <laughs> <laughs> uh, but deep down it may be eating up inside you going oh that 10 yeah. pounds god damn that yeah. moss and that's and that's why i love uh looking into murder because it, it's a true reflection of who a person is you can't hide who you really are why do people commit murder do you think most of the time you, going through a lot of these cases you would think 
based on what we see on television it it the the stuff that makes it onto television is always premeditated as mm -hmm. in someone has sat there and gone i hate that person i need to murder them i'm going to buy a rope and a knife and i'm going to meet them on this day and it's all pl plotted out mm. but most of the time it's spur of the moment it literally is somebody snaps or they get to the point where i think everybody has a limit right of what they will accept and most of us our limits are quite high of of what how far we can be pushed yes but there's always a trigger like 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 say you know family members if family members are hurt that could be a trigger so right 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 oh i see sort of like self-defense or or sort of revenge type stuff most most of the time it seems to be quite petty so especially when you deal with gangsters yeah I, there's a lot of the average person like me and you we can be pushed and pushed and we'll like say i loan you a thousand pounds and you say moz i'm not going to pay you back yeah uh, now this isn't going to happen but <laughs> <laughs> well you're not going to lend me the thousand or nah. or you'll make sure i pay it back. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i'll make sure you pay it back <laughs> if if you couldn't pay it back i would probably go that's not a problem but for most people who are kind of in in gangs and things like that right reputation is high yeah and if if someone doesn't pay you back a fiver oh that means so much and they can hold that that grudge for so long so there's so many cases that i've covered where someone has died because of a five pound note yeah that's the mafia they're so sensitive aren't they mm. it's like oh, well, if, you did if, a thing that i didn't like you know they they so it, they need so much respect from everyone all the time otherwise they're like oh i'm gonna kill you now because you didn't say thanks is that your mafia accent? Yeah. Mm. You didn't say <laughs> thanks forget to Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, it, it, it can really... But it it often starts, like, years back. There's a, a lot of animosity. So most murders, or quite a lot of them that I found, find, are just couples in an argument. Their relationship's gone sour. Things just spill over, and one, the next day, bang dead right i did read about uh, i think a woman once who murdered her her husband because he burnt her toast mm. so that's probably not because of the toast but just like a, a sort of a, the final straw that breaks the camel's back kind of situation where it's just building up and up and up and then it's the toast that sort of is the flashpoint but it's probably the culmination of many other things yes Right. Um, have you have you got any stories for us? Have you read about any interesting cases lately that you could uh, let us know? And by the way, folks, don't forget that you can hear more stories of this nature on the what's it, what's the name of it now? Murder Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. Yes. Um, so if you want this, if you want stories of grisly murders and and uh, heinous crimes uh, told in a very factual manner. Uh, by uh, Moz, then listen to his podcast. But have you got any stories that you've been reading about lately? No. <laughs> oh, go on. <laughs> That's the end of the podcast, folks. Oh, Cheers, bye. <laughs> oh, go on. Okay, I've I've got a few that I can kind of uh, spell out, and I thought I I didn't realise it, but the, there's a theme going on here. Yes, and it's death in beds. Death in beds. Mm. Ooh. Okay. I didn't realise that. I literally picked four random cases, and then I just went, oh, my God, everyone dies in their bed. <laughs> <laughs> so any of your listeners who are currently listening to this in their bed, yeah. 
Good luck. Be afraid. Be it's very not, afraid. It's a place where you should be safe. And I think that's the thing. You close your door and you close your eyes and you think you're safe, but you're not. Maybe the most vulnerable that you're ever, you know, the, 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 your most vulnerable point is just you're just lying there with your eyes closed, completely unaware of what's going on around you. Anything yeah. could be happening around you. Yeah. Ugh. So, uh, let me let me tell you this one. That's a good way to start, isn't it? Let me tell you this one. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So, uh, there is a gentleman. We're going back to 1964. Mm-hmm. Elderly gentleman called Samuel Bragg. Samuel Bragg's about 77 years old. He's an old war veteran. Uh, he's lived by himself for many years. He's he's a bachelor, so he's never married. He doesn't have any children. Okay. Um, he's in the latter stages of his life, um, and unfortunately, uh, he's he's got advanced dementia. So uh. he's his memory's not good. He often gets confused. Unfortunately, mm. living by himself. The council are desperately trying to get him into an old people's home so he can be protected, but it's his rights. He doesn't want to do that. Okay. Um, this has started a, as a nice story, hasn't it? Um, well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. A poor guy with dementia who yeah. refuses to leave his home. I know. So, uh, so he moves into a little flat. This is at Seven Randolph Avenue over in Little Venice. Okay. Um, now, he's on the ground floor, and there's some families above. So a couple of elderly people as well, and on the top floor is the Cotter family. Mm. And they're really nice, and everyone everyone likes him. He's he's old. He Unfortunately, he smells a bit. His uh, hygiene habits are not good. He urinates in a bucket next to his bed, and he leaves it there. Lovely. Um, so, it, unfortunately, that's part of who he is. But Kathleen, who lives at the top, who's the mother, she really kind of understands him she makes him meals and she kind of tries her best to kind of be like a daughter figure to him okay um unfortunately this is going on and on uh samuel is getting older he's becoming weaker as time goes on she tries to get him into hospitals she does that he gets better yeah but he refuses to eat and he gets sicker and sicker uh until one night um this was this was uh, Wednesday, the fifteenth of July, nineteen sixty-three. Um, they realised that he hasn't been to the toilet as he, uh, he goes to the toilet on the first floor and he makes a mess. Yeah. They haven't seen that in about a week, uh, about two days. Mm. They haven't heard him moaning. They haven't heard any fa- sounds from Samuel, and they they're getting worried. So they go downstairs to the ground floor and they open his door because the lock was never really worked he he's got a kind of a a tiny little room that's empty and there's not much in there there's nothing lovely in there like no family portraits Mm. no pictures of family it's just the basics and they go in there and in the bed is samuel his head's kind of resting on a pillow Mm -hmm. and he's dead um Uh looks like he probably died uh, about a day ago um looking around the room police turn up as they're meant to no signs of disturbance, no sign of a break-in. Mm-hmm. Nothing's been stolen. Um, no signs of violence on on Samuel. And the police go, okay, it, well, they do an autopsy, so they examine his body and they go, it looks like because he was ill, uh, he probably rolled over in his sleep, um, slightly suffocated himself on the pillow, and he, he died in his sleep. Um, so he's, he's taken away, and they prepare him for burial. Mm. And that's... The end of Samuel Bragg. Um, it sounds it sounds almost like a sort of a Sherlock Holmes kind of situation. 
But what happened? So, Mrs. Cotter, who lived on the top floor, she was the lovely lady who kind of looked after Samuel every so often. Mm. Um, and for the last week, she's been a bit confused because she has she's a cleaner in a local office. Her keys have gone missing, and she's like, "Where are my keys?" She's got two boys upstairs. One's fourteen, called Timothy. One's fifteen, called Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, have you boys been hiding my keys? And they're like, no, mum, we definitely haven't. And then one day, Anthony goes, this was about a week later, Anthony goes, mum, 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 Timothy's got your keys. And Timothy's like, I don't have your keys. And they're having an argument. They're getting really getting her in her space, and she's getting really angry. And then she finally snaps, and she goes, right, Timothy, give me my keys. And he's like, Mum, I don't have the keys. And she's like, give me the keys. And she reaches into her pocket to pull out her keys. Mm. And when she looks in her hand, she goes, that's not my keys. These are old Samuel's keys. And all of a sudden, her son, who's only 14 years old, he yeah. goes, I'm sorry, Mum. It just kind of happened. What? And... What had happened was, um, he's he's a good kid, but he's slightly going off the rails. He's slightly going, uh, a li- he's mixing with a bad crowd. He's getting into kind of fashion and things like, like nice clothes and having mm-hmm. fun, but he doesn't have money. He stole uh, a little bit of money off his mum and he wanted to pay her back. Um, so as he was going past, he saw that Samuel was in his room. He was fast asleep. And everybody knows that Samuel has a tin in his drawer that has lots of money in it. In total, Samuel would have about, I think it's 68,000 pounds. The equivalent today in his drawer. And Tim, about six months earlier, had actually stolen money from Samuel previously. His mum had forced him to pay it back, which he was doing. But he went in there and he thought, I'm going to steal some more. And he crept into the drawer. He got the keys off Samuel's belt while he was asleep. He started to open the drawer. And just as he did, Samuel woke up. And he panicked. And he got the pillow. And he smothered Samuel to death. Putting the pillow over his face so he couldn't breathe. Which is why there were no uh, violence marks to Samuel. It looked like he died in his sleep. So, if his mum hadn't have found those keys, she wouldn't have uncovered the fact that her son killed Samuel. Yeah, he would have got away with it. She took him. She actually took him to the police station. She turned around to him and said, I need to speak to your father and work out what we're going to do. And she was like, right, we've got to go to court. Wow. We've got to go to the police with this. And, and he was like, okay, mum. Wow. You just found out about this. You just sort of uncovered this story yourself. Yeah, I, I, I do sometimes searches to find things that I might be interested in and mm. I think sometimes what I do is I do a rever- reverse search as I call it so I search news archives and I typed in no remorse mm. uh, Paddington oh yeah because sometimes these are instead of searching words like murder London that's generic if you do a specific search of keywords that you know journalists will use sometimes you find an article yeah and I found uh, an art- a small article about Timothy uh age 14 in court his mum was weeping because he'd been sent down for like 10 years in prison mm. for murdering an old man and he 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 was like no emotion at all nothing uh, and that just made me go oh i need to find the police file <laughs> wow that's brilliant and so mm. uh, what have you have you turned that into a podcast then 
Yeah, that was one I recently did, uh, my episode 169, yeah. uh, Samuel Bragg and the Miser's Demise. Wow. It's, it's, it's incredibly sad. Yeah, that is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that is so sad. Um, es- especially not- when you look at his life and he's he doesn't buy new clothes. He clearly was a dandy, so he uh, very uh, well-dressed. He had a nice moustache, but clearly over time he's got older. Um He's got no family. He's got no loved ones. He doesn't talk to anyone. He, he's just in a little bubble where he mutters to himself. And he has enough money to live a good life, but he's, his brain is just gone. Yeah, sad. Very sad. Are they, are they I mean, the, you know, you're, you read about murders and these sort of terrible things that happen to people. Are they always sad stories or do they sometimes kind of come out in a kind of comedic way or... A, is is it is it usually kind of sad or do you have horror drama uh comedy and such like a real mix so i try to give the audience something different each week so if it's something really really tragic i'll do something light the week after so i here's one off the top of my head mm. so <laughs> this one i stumbled across by accident again another reverse search um and this was this was back in 1964 so there's an Australian gentleman called Edward, Edward Valstrom Lewis. Um, young man in Australia, he'd had many jobs. He tried to be a good person, but he was kind of drawn towards petty crime. So across his early life in Australia, he'd been a thief, a car thief, kind of uh, just stealing petty stuff. Got to the point where he was like, I need, I need a new life. So in 1964, um, he came to London and he'd been here about, I think he'd been here about a month maximum, but you know, no one knew him here. That was good. Uh, he, uh, was sleeping on him in a mate's flat, which was good. He got a job as a van driver. He seemed to be doing all right. One weekend he met up with three mates and he was like, let's go into town guys. And they're like, brilliant. Uh, as you, that's what that's what we do, isn't it? When you go into town, you go brilliant, brilliant, like uh, uh, Neil Morrissey, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they they went into town, um, had a couple of pints, had a meal, tried to get into a club. Uh, unfortunately, it was a bit busy that night. And about eleven o'clock, he decided that uh, he wanted to see some ladies. Oh. Mm, ladies ladies um so uh, he, his exact words were i want to have a bit of a dance okay. um, and what that meant was he wanted to go to a a sexy lady establishment so i'm sure most of your listeners don't go to these kind of places no. but he was walking past chinatown there was a, a very attractive lady called maureen mm. maureen sexy what yeah. a sexy name exactly <laughs> um maureen was outside this kind of little club and she was like oh come on in Do you know come on in there's drinking there's music there's sexy ladies it was, like, <laughs> was like yeah i'm up for that <laughs> that's an australian accent folks yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so he walked in there and it's not exactly a club so imagine your your front room okay about that big uh a small bar to the left hand side and the chairs were basically stolen from the inside of cars. Oh, strange decor. Mm, with kind of a weird velvet curtain, and it's not its not very sexy. No. Um, but Maureen's there, and well. Maureen's an attractive lady. And she goes, okay, Edward, um, if you want to spend some time with me, that's £4, which back then was the equivalent of 
maybe a week's wage. Okay. And she says, if you want to spend more time with me, like the whole night, that's eight pounds. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Struth. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to uh, spend the full eight pounds. I can't quite do Aussie. <laughs> uh, so he gives her the eight pounds, which is a lot of money. Mm. Um, now, this is the clip joint. Now, the problem with the clip joint is clip joints uh, don't have an alcohol license so you're buying expensive drinks but they don't have alcohol in them mm-hmm. they don't have a music license so there's no music playing they don't have an entertainment license which means ladies have to keep their clothes on um, also she's subtle about what she's saying so she's saying you can spend time with me for four pounds or the whole night for eight yes he thinks it means sex but it doesn't it just means i will talk to you right and that's the con. That's what they do. And they know they can get away with it. This is what clip joints do. Mm-hmm. Um, so after about half an hour, he realises that he's been ripped off. Another gentleman comes in who's been ripped off. And he's like, I want my money back. And she's like, no, you can't do that. And he gets really angry. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to resolve it the way that I, I know how to resolve it. Uh, he ran back to the flat. Uh, and he came back with his shotgun. Oh. As you do. <laughs> walked into the club with his shotgun so and what is he like, Batman <laughs> although Batman doesn't carry a shotgun to be fair it'd be different wouldn't it if Batman had a shotgun imagine well, my, who are you was... I'm Batman a low rent Aussie horny Batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Batman with a shotgun and a boner <laughs> <laughs> Batman with a boner Aussie Batman with a boner that could be For the li- title of the episode folks <laughs> For listeners, a boner is. <laughs> uh, it's when a man uh, so- is carrying something in his trousers, which he would like to give to a lady. The lady. Uh, so he's standing there, Edward's standing there, and he's got his shotgun, and he's arguing that he wants his money back, and they're like, fine, okay, we'll give you your money back, but we need to sort it out. A gentleman comes in behind him and goes, what's going on? I heard that someone came in with a shotgun. <laughs> This is, how crime, this is how crime happens in the UK, basically. Someone walks into a club with a shotgun and, and, and a gentleman comes up behind and goes, well, now, what's going on here? I heard that someone came into the club with a shotgun. Whereas it in is, America, people are just, it's like the Terminator, basically. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. So this guy comes in behind him uh, and says, what's going on here? I heard that someone's got a shotgun. They, they see each other, Edward and this guy. They're wrestling with the shotgun. The guy who just walked in gets shot in the stomach with a shotgun. Edward's like, shit. He grabs grabs the money. He, he in fact, grabs £10, so he's actually uh, two quid up. Well done. But is it really worth it? (laughs) The guy stumbles outside. He's kind of got blood pouring out of him. Edward's running up the street. Everyone's like, what's going on? There's two waiters who see this guy running up through where Chinatown is, and they're throwing bricks and bottles at him. And Ed was like giving them f words and things like that. They even throwing brooms and kind of road cones at him. Yeah. Um, Edward turns around trying to flee. He keeps waving the gun at them, saying, "Get away! Get away! I need to escape!" And he turns around and he shoots one guy in the face. Whoa! And then he fires another shot, and there's a gentleman who's about 300 feet away. He's just chatting to a mate, and he gets a, he gets one of the uh, pellets in his head. Oh, dear. Wait a minute. So this is just in central London? This is, like, in Soho? Yeah, yeah, uh, Chinatown. So this is just on Rupert Court, which um, is just off Sherrod Street. And when did this happen again? 1963 or 4. Yeah, 63 or 64. Wow, crazy yeah. stuff. It's like know, Grand Theft Auto. 
and it, it, it's fascinating the, the, they um they, the police managed to track him down. Uh, luckily, the guy who was shot in the stomach made a good recovery. Okay. Uh, the guy who was shot in the face was partially blinded, but that recovered. Uh, and the guy who was hit in the head, that was fine. That was just a superficial wound, so no, nothing too serious. Okay. Um, the police did an investigation. Uh, it turned out that when Edward came into the club... Uh, as everyone would do, uh, he signed his name in the book. <laughs> oh, well done, Edward! Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just that's what crime is a lot of the time. That you you're not planning to commit a murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all these little pieces there. They found him because he was still working as a van driver. They turned up, and he, he was like, "Yeah, mate. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I just lost my rag." And the the detective said, "Can I ask a question? Why?" We, why do you have a shotgun with you? And he was like, oh, mate, I was planning to do some shack fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the detective said, but there are no sharks in the United Kingdom. And he was like, yeah, I've only just realised that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What yeah. a genius. I know. Fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Incredible. So he came to Britain with a shotgun to do some shark hunting, mate. Shark He's like, fishing. mate, you're in London. Like, no. where, where are you going to go? That's the thing. He doesn't even go to the coast <laughs> at any point. It's baffling. I mean, it's a wonderful story. And I think it gives you a real insight into who he is. Because when you look at his past, he's... He's always striving to get money. He's always trying to do a little bit better. He's not the most blessed with education and things like that and skills. Hence, he goes into crime. But he's always fighting to do a little bit better. And when he's ripped off with a little bit of money, that's a trigger. That's the trigger for him just to, for anger to kind of rage. Anything else, he'd probably be fine with that. But just it's his money and he earned it honestly as a van driver and this lady ripped him off for no reason yeah wow well one mm. action-packed story that is and thankfully uh no one no one died this time yeah yeah it, it's uh yeah it was when i looked at it i thought oh my god this this has to be like attempted murder but he wasn't he was charged with a gbh so grievous bodily harm right um, and they they could kind of see that there was uh, the detectives could see that there wasn't he wasn't out for revenge he'd been duped by people who have a con yeah yeah and and the detectives were kind of kind of sympathetic to him really well there you go folks if you want to get away with murder just uh, make sure that you're killing the right people uh, <laughs> for the right reasons and the detectives will just be like yeah yeah probably it's best, fine. best left unsolved. Especially if you're going shack fishing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. If you need to smuggle a weapon across a border, just say that you're going to go shark fishing. <laughs> I think from now on, to, so uh, my listeners can recognise your listeners, they should each say to each other, you're going shark fishing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way, yeah, exactly. If you ever go on one of uh, Moz's tours, if you meet some other people, you can say, yeah, g'day, mate, you're going to go shark fishing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, oh you're, so, um, as well as telling stories on your podcast, you also do a, you're doing a sort of a, a stage show kind of thing as well, isn't that right? Mm, we're uh, I've done a few with a friend of mine called Adam, who does the uh, UK True Crime podcast. Um, I've done another one with my friend Paul, who does a True Crime Enthusiast. So we are three True Crime podcasters, uh, and we kind of thought to ourselves, let's do a show together. 
So we've got an outline for a show, and it's uh, how to plan the perfect murder and then totally balls it up. Because th- that's the thing is there's so many people who try to plan the perfect murder, but little things trip them up really easily. So uh, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Hmm, okay, so that's going to be a sort of a storytelling evening. But isn't there an interactive element to it or or something like that? Am yeah, right we're, the idea is that um, me, Paul and Adam, we haven't told each other what stories we're going to tell. Yeah. Um, and what we're going to do is uh, we'll tell a little story, then we'll turn to each other and go, right, what was right, what was wrong, how would you solve that? And then we turn to the audience and we, we try and get their reactions on it to see, did the murderer do it right? What mistakes did they make? And and, and by the end, we're hoping to kind of come up with an idea of, if you were to murder someone, how would you do it? Hmm. That's an interesting question. In fact, I wrote down uh, on my in my notes here a strange question for you which is have have you ever considered committing murder yourself you've read about so many successful and unsuccessful murders have you ever actually considered doing it yourself i know that's a strange question but i'm going to ask you anyway i don't think do you know what i i i had i did an interview with some friends who are kind of true crime podcasters recently and i asked them about committing murder whether you physically could and mm. i don't think i could mm. I think I think a, I'm kind of wrapped up with kind of a, a, a grief and kind of guilt, but yeah. also I'm a ditherer. I'm a really, really, I'm really. Do you know when you go into a restaurant and they have twenty things to choose from? Yeah. Yet I might as well just give up and walk out now. Because <laughs> it's like, uh, the, um, uh, ooh, uh, yeah. yeah, yes. Whereas if it, if it's three things, if it's like a burger and then something veggie and then something that I hate, burger. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I I don't think I could commit murder. I don't think I've got it in me to do that. But if someone were to do something to me, I don't know. I don't even know if I could fight for my own life. Really? Yeah. But in in terms of the sort of planning aspect of it. Oh, yeah. Like there's the physical actual doing it, which you couldn't do. But what about the sort of planning side of things? Because I'm sure that... uh, some of those premeditated murders. I mean, we've all seen Columbo, uh, so we all know that uh, sometimes murders can be very carefully planned out and still go wrong. Um, yeah, what about the planning side of it? What's the see, best I'm, way to, like, to dispose of a body, for example? See, I'm quite a bitter person, and when, when someone gets on my rag, uh, mm. when someone annoys me, I do do things to spite them back. Hmm. So, um, oh God, should I admit this? This isn't horrible, but it's okay. I used to work for a company many years ago. This isn't a murder. This person didn't get hurt. Right. I used to work for a company years ago. Yeah. And the guy who was slightly above of me, I wasn't trying to take over his job. I was happy where I was, but he thought I was. And he yeah. really treated me really badly and he was really nasty all the time. Yeah. Um, so I decided to kind of make him think that he was he was losing his mind. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you were going to say so. I so I shat in his coffee. I don't. Know, oh I thought yeah. You were gonna, no, but you said that you you were going to make him feel like he was losing his mind. Yeah, I, I wanted to start making him get a little bit confused with life, with things that was going. On. You did some Darren Brown stuff on him. Yeah, I started moving all of his stuff around. I started kind of swapping tea for coffee and things like that and kind of putting salt in where the sugar should be. And then and then inside books that I know he, he was going to read, I would leave really vague post-it notes. Hmm. 
and uh, yeah, he started. He started. Uh, he started becoming a little bit quiet. <laughs> so, so uh, I yeah, I probably could do a premeditated murder if it involved poison or something that didn't involve me being there. Right, right. Yeah, that's the ultimate way of doing it, isn't it? If if, if it happens without you even being in the room. Mm. Um, with with most uh, murderers, women tend to use poison. I think women tend to be a hell of a lot smarter than men. Mm-hmm. Men, as we've seen with Edward, uh, the, the story I just <laughs> told you about the, the shack fishing, that's classic man. It's kind of stupid and it's kind of it's noisy and loud and it's kind of, oh, I need to be seen. Whereas women can be quite subtle. They tend to use poison. Really? Do they, they tend to do... Oh, God, yeah. They, they, in fact, male serial killers tend to last about a year to a year and a half in their killing spree. Yeah. Female serial killers tend to last about nine years. Wow, really? Mm. They're so much Be- better at murder. Men like men are like, oh, look at me. I'm a great serial killer. I'm going to take souvenirs like heads and body parts <laughs> and things like that. And women just go, I'll just continue doing my regular job. And uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow, cold-blooded stuff. And women, so women use poison, and the great thing, mostly poison, because um, the idea is you don't need to be in the room. You don't need to be anywhere near the person you're going to kill. Yeah. Clever. Wow, very clever, yeah. Um, so, uh, what was I... Damn, what was I going to say? Hold on a second. Was, that, was, I was that about how I would murder someone? Yeah, no, I was going to say this. I was going to say this. So, I was watching Breaking Bad with my wife, and there's the scene in the maybe series one where they've got a guy... Uh, they, they've, they've killed a guy, and they've got to get rid of the body. So this is Jesse and uh walt they've got to get rid of this body and they've got to decide the best way to do it they end up dissolving it in a bath which is not the right way to do it but it got my wife and i thinking and talking what would we do how would we get rid of a body so we pretended so i pretended to be dead and she had to try to like move me around or maybe even try to like get me up to the window so she could chuck me out of the window or something and it was really really hard for her to just even move me around and so we were wondering how on earth what's the best way to deal with a dead body basically is this how you have fun? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> you pretend to be dead, your wife pretends to dispose of your or corpse. Or she pretends to be dead and I try to, to dispose of her corpse. Uh, but anyway, it did get us thinking, like, how on earth would you get rid of a body if you'd killed it's someone? Not, it's not that easy, because uh, one of the original experiments I did, there was a case that happened ages ago where this guy died of a drug overdose, uh, in a drug dealer's house and they were like we need to get rid of the body because he's died so they put him in a trolley and they dumped his body in the canal and that's right. what the the journalist said but when when I looked at the location in the canal I went that's just over a quarter of a mile that's a long distance mm. so I put into a trolley f- the equivalent of 15 stone wow. in bricks yeah. and this was from King's Cross back of King's Cross heading to the canal and what I realised, same as the way you and your wife kind of worked out that actually picking up a body is really difficult because it's a dead weight, isn't it? Yep, literally. The, it's heavier than you'd imagine. I was pushing this trolley of 15 stone, and what I realised is that pavements aren't flat. They're on a camber, yeah. which means they're, they're kind of leaning into the drain, so the water drains off. Right. Um, so I was wheeling the trolley along. The trolley trolleys mostly have defective wheels. Um, I was going 
trying to get a trolley off the pavement onto the road is difficult because it's a real jump. Yeah, yeah. Um, I walk past at least 10 CCTV cameras <laughs> and a journey that should have taken about, it should have taken about three or four minutes, took me about 14 minutes. Yeah. So it's not easy. Um, yeah. But if, if, do you know what? If I did a, um, a series on the podcast on, on mini miles and I actually did a whole series on disposal of bodies, mm. uh, what I would do is I'd leave the body outside. Oh, yes. That's how I'd get rid of the body. If, in some climates, depending on where you are in the world, uh, a body can be dissolved almost in a week. Not dissolved, but kind of the elements can corrode it really fast. Wow. It makes me think of, uh, don't, I don't know if you know the film. This is a very obscure reference. Uh, what's it called? Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, oh, yeah. Clint, Clint Eastwood movie. There's yeah. a scene where he's like, killed these two guys who were trying to capture him. And the, his mate who he's with, he's like, ain't we going to bury the bodies? And Clint goes, buzzards got to eat same as worms. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's full of great lines like that. Buzzards, buzzards got to eat same as worms. Pretty sure we have time to bury them, fellas. The hell with them, fellas. Buzzards got to eat same as worms. So, yeah, I guess um, leaving the body out means that... Yeah. I mean, nature's going to deal with most of it for you. Um, I'm, I'm doing an interview with uh, two detectives next week. Um, they're kind of friends of mine. They're ex-retired detectives. And I'm going to sit down with them and work out about crime scenes and detective stuff and things like that. Okay. But I might ask them more about body disposal. Yeah, let us know the best way to get rid of a body just in case you know anyone in my audience needs to know uh, I, I think i think definitely leaving them outside is a great idea because nature has all of these ways of di everything in nature is kind of being eaten and then re rebuilt and you know nature can destroy a lot of things especially uh rain right yeah rain can get rid of a lot of evidence so if anyone does want to murder uh, anyone there you go <laughs> Tell that to your wife. Okay, yeah. I'll I'll let her know I found the answer. Just leave her outside. So, now, I thought uh, just at the end here that we could um, do one of those kind of online quizzes where we have to try and answer questions in order to achieve a thing. I'm going to let you decide which one we do. Do you want to try and solve a murder or do you want to try and get away with a murder? Ooh, uh, <laughs> solve. Solve a murder. Okay, so we're going to go and have a look at... Uh, this this is something I found on the penguin.co.uk website, and this is a sort of mystery murder mystery story, and we've got to try and help two detectives solve a crime. Okay, so uh, Daisy Wells and Hazel Wong. This is from the uh, Penguin Readers series children's articles this is for kids <laughs> but we could maybe make it a bit more gruesome we'll see yeah. so uh daisy maybe. wells and hazel wong are traveling back from hong kong when a passenger goes missing she was last seen at dinner le leaving the room at 10 50 p.m but she never arrived back in her cabin a passenger reported hearing a splash at 11 p.m daisy and hazel are ready to investigate can you help them solve the crime you up for that? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's try. Okay. So Daisy and Hazel ask you for uh, questions. Basically, Daisy and Hazel don't know what they're doing, and they're just going to ask us to make all the decisions for them. So Daisy and Hazel aren't going to solve this crime. Luke and Moz are going to solve this crime, okay? And hopefully an Australian. And maybe an Australian who wanted to go shark fishing. (laughs) Um, Right, so what do we do? Do we say yes and grab our casebook? Or do we say, nah, sounds a bit dangerous. I think we'd better let the police handle it. I'm in. Yeah, so we're going to grab our casebook. Let's go. Okay, so um, here's some information about the victim. Mrs. Bernadette Van Dyne is an American heiress and philanthropist. She's extremely rich and extremely pissed. No, she's not. (laughs) (laughs) She's just a philanthropist. She's extremely rich, but in recent years, she's given half of her wealth to charities and spent the rest on a collection of Eastern art. Her family are not pleased. She was in Hong Kong to purchase two jade figurines of immense value. They were stored in her cabin, but when the room was searched, one of the figurines was missing. (gasps) So what do we do now, Moz? Should we eavesdrop on some police interviews or should we ask the police officer to let us interview the suspects ourselves? Are we allowed to do that? We're not police. I'll give you a clue. Um, It's eavesdrop on police interviews, because I read the first few (laughs) questions before. And if we ask the police to let us interview the suspects, then we'll have to go back to the start. So we're eavesdropping on police interviews, Okay. Nice. Right. So the police are conducting onboard interviews. You, Daisy and Hazel, overhear and compile a suspect list. Who do you want to investigate further? So here are three suspects. Jacob Van Dyne. The victim's husband, a gambler, often seen at the onboard casino. Or is it Miriam Van Dyne, the victim's daughter, a dutiful daughter who cares for her parents and was helping her mother with her art collection? Or none of them. You decide to leave the investigating to the police and go back to your cabin. Oh, do do you know, the dutiful daughter is just too suspicious for me, Mm. but it's the husband because he's got gambling debts. Right, he's got gambling debts, which and he needs to pay them off with this jade, with the jade figurines. Mm. Okay, that's what we're going to choose. You've chosen to investigate investigate Jacob Van Dyne, the victim's husband. You find out that he he has a heart condition and relies on his wife's wealth to get by. Here is his statement. Oh. My wife left the table at ten fifty. I finished my drink and went back to the casino where I remained until it closed at 11.30. The barman will back me up. Then I went to my wife's cabin to look to look in on her. I went back to my wife's cabin to look in on her, but found the door locked and the light off. I raised the alarm immediately. My poor wife, where has she gone? All right. Hmm. Um, any thoughts? I mean, I mean that my poor wife. Where has she gone? He's tried to draw attention to himself, so that's kind of an alibi. He's he may have paid off the barman to say, "Hey, mate, can you make sure that you saw me here?" Maybe they're friends. So, uh, I, it's suspicious, very suspicious. So, what do we do next? Check with the barman at the casino to see if Jacob's alibi checks out, or you're unsure what to do next and decide to finish your book in your cabin instead of investigating. What's <laughs> What? <laughs> Do they think that we're morons? <laughs> I love the way one of the options is always, ah, oh, just stop this and just go back to your cabin. Yeah, um, but what's the book? Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, we're going to check th- with the barman 
at the right. casino to see if the alibi checks out. All right, let's see. The casino was open until 11.30 and the barman confirms Jacob's alibi. He couldn't have committed the crime as he was at the casino. So you can rule him out. <laughs> I love the what? way Hazel and whatever their name is, um, Hazel and Daisy are not the most, um, what's the word for it? Sort of... Uh, they're De- diligent, aren't diligent. they? They're just kind of like, like let, we'll, we'll do a little bit of digging and if we come against a brick wall, we'll go and read a book. It's like, oh, oh okay, he's got an alibi. We can just rule him out. Hmm. <laughs> so what do we do next? So do we investigate Miriam Van Dyne, the dutiful daughter, yada, yada, or do we break into Jacob's cabin? There might be clues somewhere. Ooh, let, let's go and kick down a door. Yeah, let's break into his cabin. And what we'll do is this. We'll do the Arnold Schwarzenegger technique. We'll stand outside the cabin and we will then smash the door in. Pam, like that. And we'll walk in and we'll go, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we do it in a gangster way, like an East End gangster? Can we, can we fuck some people up? <laughs> yeah, we're going to smash the door in. All right, so that's what we're going to do. You sneak into, we sneak in. That's no good. I thought we were going to smash the door down. We sneak into Jacob and the victim's cabin to look for clues. After five minutes of not being able to find anything, you hear footsteps coming. (gasps) Footsteps are coming. So what do we do? Keep looking. There might be a clue somewhere. Or we eavesdrop on Miriam Van Dyne's police interview, the victim's daughter, a dutiful daughter who cares for her parents and was helping her mother with her art collection. So we can keep looking even though there are footsteps coming. Or we somehow teleport to another part of the boat <laughs> and eavesdrop on the police interview with the daughter. Oh, do you know what? I, I'm st- the, I, I think there's something there. I think, I think there's something in that room. You think so? We, mm. you, you don't think we're definitely going to get caught? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, this This quiz thinks that we are complete idiots. Okay, okay we're going to keep looking, even though we're definitely about to get caught. Here we go. Oh, no. Hold on a minute. Oops, you've been caught by one of those pesky policemen. You should have run out of there or hidden somewhere. Looks like you need some tips from Daisy Wells and Hazel Wong. We don't need tips from them, because they, they can't even do it themselves. They're asking me to do it. We're going to try again. All right, we're going to skip through the... Uh, so we're going to grab our casebook. Uh, we're going to uh, interv- uh, eavesdrop on police interviews, and we'll skip straight to Miriam Van Dyne. I think at this point. Right. All right. So here we go. You've chosen to investigate Miriam Van Dyne. My brother. This is her statement. My brother Holden and mother were arguing again last night. He left in a rage before dessert was served. And then it was just the four of us on the table. Father, mother, me and that art dealer woman. She went off a few minutes after Holden. Embarrassed, I think. But she did invite mother to come and visit her cabin to look at a sculpture of some sort. I don't know if mother did or not. I went back to my cabin just before 11. No, I didn't hear a splash. I was in my friend Elaine's room. She wanted to borrow a book, so I brought it to her. I was Bloody there with books. They're all well, these mysterious books. I was there with her until I heard the alarm raised. Huh? Do you understand what's going on? She's reading a book, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of books. Yeah, it's this 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 quiz was written by uh, Penguin which is a book publisher, folks, just in case. Like, the subtle marketing that they're doing, have you noticed? Like, let's just stop this and just read a book by penguin.co.uk. 
available for £9.99. <laughs> um, so, uh, my brother Holden and mother are, were arguing. Holden, the brother, left in a rage before dessert was served, and then it was just the four of them. The father, the mother, the daughter, and an art dealer woman who went off a few minutes after the brother... She was embarrassed about something, but she invited Mother to come and visit her cabin to look at a sculpture of some sort. I don't know if the Mother did. So who is this art dealer woman? Let's. Is there a bit that says, find out who the art dealer woman is? (laughs) Um, Well, the, the, the daughter also says she went to her cabin, but she was in her friend Elaine's room. She wanted to borrow a book. Hmm... Mm. So I didn't hear the splash. Why? Yeah. So we've either got uh, her. We've got. We can investigate Jacob and the victim's cabin, but we know what happens there. Or we can check Miriam's alibi with her friend Elaine. Let's go and find out with this strange relationship between this daughter and her friend Elaine, and why what they were doing so that they couldn't hear a splash. I wonder. I bet it involves a book. <laughs> <laughs> You've chosen to investigate Miriam's alibi. Here's Elaine's statement. Yes, Miriam came to see me with a book. She she came by at about 11 (laughs) and she was with me until half past. My room is uh, is 152 on the starboard side. I think I did hear a splash just before 11, but I was quite sleepy. Hmm. Hmm. So what do we do? Um, Accuse Miriam of committing the crime anyway. Why? Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't think we'll be doing that. Or we investigate Priya Chanda, a first-class passenger at the victim's table. She is an art dealer with an interest in Asian art. We, this is very vague, isn't it? It's kind of like, we'll look at this person, but if he's not carrying a book, then that's fine. <laughs> or we'll just pick someone who's in first class, yet yeah, a barman, that'll do. <laughs> I think we're going to investigate the art dealer. Here we go. Yeah. You've chosen to talk to Priya Chanda, the art dealer who was the victim's dinner ta- at the victim's dinner table on the night she disappeared. You know that the victim had two very valuable jade figurines, one of which has gone missing. Here's what you learn from her. She says, I don't like the Van Dynes. They're always arguing. Tonight the, it was the son's turn. He stormed off with some mechanical thing he'd invented Ooh. after his mother laughed at him. And I decided to go as well. I invited Mrs. Van Dyne to look at a sculpture I'm selling. I hoped she might be interested in it. But she never came to see it. I was in my room all night. Yes, I have heard that Mrs. Van Dyne owned those two jade figurines. Yes, I'm interested in them. But I wouldn't murder someone over them. Mm, Dubious. What's this mechanical thing that the son had invented? That's interesting, isn't it? They're, They're vague about that. I'm interested in that. So we can investigate Holden Van Dyne, the victim's son, an inventor who always asks his mother to fund his inventions. Or we can accuse Holden of committing the crime without talking to him. Oh, God. Why are they obsessed with blaming it on people? Do you know what? I think it's these two ladies. Yeah, the two girls here with their mysterious books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're building a library. Um, Let's investigate Holden. Let's investigate Holden, the inventor. Okay, here we go. You've chosen to interview Holden Van Dyne, the victim's son. As if, like, as well, as if these people would 
would agree to be interviewed by these two girls and two <laughs> weird English bloke, two weird English podcasters. Like, do you mind if we interview you for our podcasts <laughs> about the murder? You know, like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. So anyway, I did it. <laughs> um, here's the police. Here's the police statement from Holden. My mother was on form last night. She never listens to me. She never listens to any of us. I put forward a perfectly good proposal for my new mouse trap, and she laughed at me. I left the table after that. I think it, it was just after half past ten, and I went to stand on deck. My room is on the port side, and my mother's is on the starboard, so I wouldn't have seen her go by. No, no one saw me, and I wasn't with anyone. I didn't move until police ran by me. I wanted to be alone. Okay, so what's the next step? So, uh, is it A, we have a motive, it's time to tell the police that Holden definitely committed the crime, or B, there's a brand new witness, a waiter at the victim's dinner table on the night he disappeared. She disappeared. Oh, God. So what should we do? New witness, definitely. Okay, here we go. Let's investigate this witness. (gasps) Harry Guo, a waiter at the victim's table. Here's what he had to say. The son left the table at about 10.30. Then Mrs Chander, Miss Van Dyne, Mrs Van Dyne, and finally Mr Van Dyne at about five minutes to 11 all left the table. Look, I've got to confess, <laughs> I did it. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to confess, I've never put a foot wrong on this ship. I've been careful. I'm a model employee. But when I was younger, I was a forger. I made copies of paintings for clients. I went to prison and served my time, and I swear I haven't been near a paintbrush for years. It's funny, though, how your past follows you. I hadn't even thought of that time until this voyage. When I saw her at the table, it all came flooding back. Sorry, what? What's going on? Do you know? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So the waiter is saying, I'm a brilliant waiter. I've always been a model employee. But when I was younger, I used to make copies of paintings for clients. He was a forger, forgeries. He went to prison, served his time, but he hasn't been near a paintbrush since. But then uh, he saw this woman at the table. It all came flooding back. Like suddenly, oh, I'm going to become a forger again. Unless he knows her. Interesting. So, Harry has given you a lot to think about, Detective. What do you do now? Get your facts together and discuss the next steps with the Detective Society. Or work alone. You don't need anyone's help. I think it's always useful to have uh, other people dive in. Let's, let's check with the Detective Society. Yeah. Here are the facts so far. Okay, so the victim's husband, uh, the gambler, Jacob, with a weak heart, he's been ruled out because he's got a strong alibi at the casino. It's not possible that he paid off the the barman, but anyway. Holden, the victim's son, had a motive as he argued with his mother at dinner on the night the victim disappeared. And then he was on his own without any witnesses. Priya, the art collector, also had a motive as the victim had bought two valuable figurines from Hong Kong. They were in the victim's cabin, but one had disappeared. So maybe Priya is the thief. Uh, Miriam, the victim's daughter, has an alibi. She was with Elaine doing something about a book, but she'd been helping her mother with her art collection. So we can't rule her out yet. No. Don't know why. Harry, the waiter at the table, was involved in art forgery when he was younger and recognised... 
uh, her from his past at the table. Hmm, he recognised someone. So this is the thing we didn't really understand about Harry before. The previous, the, the guy who used to be a forger, the ex-forger. He recognised someone at the table. And then his past came flooding back. So who did I he... I bet re- he recognised Elaine. <laughs> I don't know anything about Elaine. And the I'm, mysterious... I, I, I don't like her. Hmm. Well, who did he recognise? Could it be Priya, the art dealer, Miriam, the daughter, or uh, the victim herself? Could Harry have committed the crime to cover up his past? Oh. Like what? Maybe. Like maybe. maybe she knew about some forgeries that he'd done, but I thought he'd already served his time. Maybe he. Mm, maybe uh, there's something in his past that he's uh, he's been holding on to. Hmm. So there's new evidence. Oh. This is new. Something's been found in Harry's room. What do you choose to do? So, do we grab our fingerprinting kit and go and investigate? Or, B, you've had enough and you tell the police everything you've learned so far and you go back to your cabin and read a book, a Penguin book, purchased from penguin.co.uk. Oh, my God. (laughs) They they really are like, you're going to go this direction. If not, you can just go and watch a DVD. (laughs) Just go and read a book from Penguin. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've got to get the fingerprinting kit. Oh, yeah? Yeah, maybe go shark fishing later. <laughs> okay. The third-class cabins have been searched, and one of the jade figurines is found in Harry Guo's room by the police. Ooh. Fingerprints on the figurine... Fi- uh, what? <laughs> Fingerprints on the figurine are matched to the victim, the victim's daughter Miriam and Priya Chandra, the art dealer. There are also gloves found in Harry's room. What's your next step? Is it talk to Harry's colleague to find out about a possible motive or just accuse Harry anyway? Priya and the daughter would have had their fingerprints on the figurine anyway because they were looking at it. Right. So, uh, yeah. I Makes think... sense. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, what, what was the options again? Um, talk to Harry's colleague to find out a, yeah. about a possible motive. Right, that's definitely what we're going to do. Oh, dear, a second death has just occurred. (gasps) Harry, the waiter, has been found dead in his cabin. He appears to have taken poison. Ooh, as we know that girls like to use poison to to commit murder, don't they, as you already pointed out? (laughs) Daisy and Hazel talk to one of Harry's Harry's colleagues, who says this. Harry's always uh, been behaving very strangely. He told me yesterday that he thought he'd recognised one of the female passengers on the table of the victim. I asked him if it was the victim, and he said no, it was the other woman, but wouldn't tell me which one. I don't know why uh, Harry's colleague is talking like this, but he is. After his (laughs) cabin was searched, he came to find me. He was upset, and he kept saying, I'm going to end up dead. Not like Alan Partridge. (laughs) I'm going to end up dead. I thought he was exaggerating, but look what's happened. So you can eliminate two suspects. Who do you choose? Well, so wait a minute. Hold on. The Harry, daughter or the art dealer? Harry said that he uh, he recognised one of them and it wasn't the victim. Oh, no, I'm going to end up dead, he said. So who do we uh, eliminate? Harry and Holden or Miriam and Priya? Now, think about it. With, poison was used. And fingerprints on the, on the item. So I, I think we get rid of Holden. Yes, and Harry. 
Okay, yeah. that's what we're going to eliminate. Great work. You can eliminate Harry as he's been poisoned and the victim's son, Holden, as he doesn't have a motive to murder Harry. Plus, Harry said he was worried about a female passenger at the table that night because of his art-dealing past. You ask Priya, the art collector, how her fingerprints got on the figurine and she says... Uh, the victim showed me the figurines on the afternoon she died. She was boasting that her collection would be the finest in the world. No, of course I wasn't jealous. Why would you say that? So Priya had a motive as she was an art collector, but why would she take only one figurine? Detective, what is your next step? Mm. So we accuse Priya anyway. She must have been jealous and wanted the jade figurine for herself. Or, or we read a book. Or... or <laughs> investigate the victim's daughter Miriam or just go off and read a book somewhere I think <laughs> Miriam definitely obviously, we need Miriam, more info yeah you ask Miriam about Harry and why her fingerprints are on the jade figurine found in his room and she says of course I don't know him obviously my mother uh, obviously my mother's and my prints should be on the figurines we looked at them together on the day of her death she was very pleased with her new purchase time for a final clue oh <gasps> Okay, so we can either click here for the final clue in the case, or we can just assume that Holden, um, the victim's son, committed the crime. We can just forget the clue and accuse we him, just and arrest then go, anyone, and then just read a book. <laughs> I think we're obviously going to go for the final clue. Oh yeah. Okay, so here's another important clue. Results from the tests on the glass. Harry, the waiter, drunk from show it had traces of digitalin a common heart medication. If taken in large quantities by those not suffering from a heart complaint, it can cause death. So you have two main suspects, Miriam and Priya. Here are your clues. One of the figurines was planted by either Miriam or Priya in Harry's room as only their fingerprints were on it, or someone had to have access to heart medication to poison Harry. And one of the women was recognised by Harry, who had connections to the art world and a sinister art past. So is it Priya, the art collector, or Miriam, the victim's daughter? Miriam, uh, the victim's daughter, because her brother, didn't he have a heart condition? Or her dad had the heart condition? I think this was at the start, wasn't it? They mentioned that one of them was unwell and had a heart the condition. The gambler, the gambler. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the daughter was always very helpful, looking yes. after her father. It's Miriam, isn't it? Yeah. Dirty, dirty Mir Miriam. Right, Miriam the murderer. Let's String see. her up! <laughs> String her up. Burn her! It's not a witch. It's not a witch hunting <laughs> trial. Congratulations, you solved the crime, but you didn't prevent one unnecessary death. Uh, you present the police and Miriam with the evidence, and she confesses. Here's a summary of the evidence. Uh, da, 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 da. the clue of the poison is very important the only suspect in this mystery who has a heart condition is the victim's husband he didn't do it but Miriam would have access to his cabin as his daughter and the person who cares for him and could steal his medication if Ms Chanda had stolen the figurine as a collector she'd have taken them both the only person who would have taken one piece and leave it in Harry's cabin to frame him was Miriam and uh, Miriam didn't hear a splash, but her friend Elaine did hear one. Miriam was, was, has to be lying about not hearing a splash. And the only reason she'd do that is if she is the murderer. Her story would only make sense if she never went back to her own cabin, but instead followed her mother out of the dining room, pushed her over the rails, and then went straight back in to see Elaine with the book. 
Ha. Uh, so there you go. Da, 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 da. Miriam helped her mother with her art collecting, and she also bought forged art on the black market and sold it on at a profit. She recognised. Yeah, she recognised Harry and realised he might tell her mother what she had done, so she decided to kill them both. Logical, isn't it? What a nasty piece of work. She'd become the head of the Van Dyne collection and have all the money she needed to buy art. All because of art. Just a a dark, evil plan to buy art and books. Although although the problem with this is that uh, those two girls got the evidence illegally, therefore the police can't use it. So all of the evidence that was achieved, the police have to dismiss it. So the killer will walk free. What? Because the two girls who are investigating this aren't detectives. They're not police officers, so they can't go interviewing anyone. (laughs) So all this stuff is inadmissible as evidence in court. (laughs) Really. Well, you know what? Listen, um, that's not it, because there's a final twist (gasps) to the story. After Miriam was taken into custody... uh, The ship is contacted by a fishing vessel. It's a fishing boat. Shark fishing boat, maybe. Oh, I hope so. Come on. It's the victim, Mrs. Van Dyne. (gasps) She's alive. She accuses her daughter of pushing her overboard. You were right. Now time for an obligatory bun break. Huh? (laughs) (laughs) What, they're just going to eat some bread randomly? Nice. And don't forget to pick up Daisy and Hazel's newest adventure, A Spoonful of Murder. Oh, they're advertising the book to us at the end as well. Oh, my God. There you go. Well, anyway, <laughs> we, we, um, we solved the crime. So that's that. We've done it. We're our master detectives. Um, and there you go, Moz. Well done, us. N- n- next time we'll have to try and uh, maybe get away with a crime or just completely balls it up. See, it's it's interesting looking at um, obviously the cases that we dealt with at the start mm. are real cases and they're honest and there's no premeditation really and it's kind of you see how humans really interact with the world and other people, whereas that story <laughs> is very <laughs> contrived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the the worst detectives ever. Like yeah. it, there were there were times during that investigation where the whole the whole investigation was hanging by a thread and at any moment they they could have just gone oh never mind this let's just go back to our room and read a book (laughs) (laughs) oh my lord it just shows the difference between fact and fiction it's they're they're entirely different beasts aren't they yeah completely completely um interesting so moz um if people want to listen to more stories of grisly true murders and stuff how do they do that how do how do they find you not find your boat and run across the top of it but just generally how do people find you on the internet that's probably the best way to put it Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast is available on all podcast platforms uh, if you go to uh, the Murder Mile website um, it, to help you with each episode I actually do a transcript of each episode so you can kind of uh, you can listen to the episode and follow along if there's any words kind of local London things that I may say that may may uh, be a little bit confusing um and coming soon is also Murder Mile Walks as well. My walk, if you're in Soho, come along. Nice one. Okay, so you can just Google it. Murder Mile, Murder Mile Walks, Murder Mile Podcast. That's how you would find it. Okay, well, Moz, thanks so much. And uh, can you just describe the scene there, just at the end of this episode? Do you have a window? Are you looking out across some nice watery 
riverbank or something or a canal towpath or something yeah i'm at the back of a a canal i can't say where i am and in front of me is some really 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 nice houses so i'm looking into their back gardens at the moment um yeah it's nice and peaceful very nice any any ducks or or geese we have ducks coots uh we had some uh herons yesterday and uh about two weeks ago i saw an otter really Otters are back in the canal because the quality of the water has improved over the last couple of decades. Oh, wow. Otters are fantastic creatures. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Uh, Have a lovely day with your animal friends. (laughs) (laughs) My sharks. (laughs) Yeah. Try not to go shark fishing. (laughs) Okay, mate. Um, And uh, take care. And thanks so much for telling us some stories and all the rest of it. You're welcome. Thank you to all of your listeners as well. I've met many of them and they're all lovely. Ah, yes. All right. Brilliant. Okay. Cheers, mate. Bye for now. Bye. So that was uh, Moz on his boat talking about murder, which is a sort of, um, you know, he's, he's been on the podcast quite a few times doing that in the past. You can go back to the episode archive and just search for like episodes with Moz in the title and you'll find them. There's lots. He's done lots of stories. And of course, you can just check out his podcast, the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. So there we go. Um, how is everything in podcast land? What's going on with you? I hope everyone's doing all right out there. Uh, the weather is, is improving. It's been very hot. It's nice. Uh, I'm here in my pod room. I've been soundproofing the room, trying to sort of reduce the amount of echo in the room because I think there is a bit one one there's a little bit of echo sort of coming from maybe the ceiling at the back but I've put in a sort of uh, a sound absorbent um, panel on the ceiling above my desk so I've got that and it's like a padded panel so that should sort of deal with a reflection of sound coming from the ceiling above me and then on my left I've put these hexagonal sort of pads on the wall and they are sort of sound absorbent hexagons of different colours they're quite quite good so they should absorb some sound as well and then I've ordered like tons of soundproofing material in sort of white like these white panels and I'm going to just sort of stick them around in the various empty spaces to try to reduce the amount of background echo I have asked about the sound quality before on the podcast and everyone has reassured me that it sounds absolutely fine and I think it does sound okay like this I could leave it like this but I'm going to try to cover up some of the bare walls in a way that doesn't really impact on the sort of visual side of the room um, and that will make it sound as good as possible I've got guitars on the walls and they sometimes sort of hum right there's that one up there I've got currently a sock underneath the strings to dampen the strings of that guitar because if I take the sock away then one anyway you can really hear it it reverberates um, from my voice it sort of picks up on a certain tone in my voice which makes the strings vibrate so you can hear that in the background sometimes uh, but it's it's fine, isn't it? It is fine because this is podcasting. It doesn't have to be studio perfect sound. And if you do hear the sounds of my environment, uh, then that's quite nice, isn't it? I don't know if you noticed in this episode that we could hear the birds singing in the background. Could you hear that? 
you could hear the birds singing in the background. That was um, the birds just outside Moz's boat. That's that's from his microphone. So he's out there in the you know in the countryside, living the sort of uh, the boating life. Must be nice. It'd be a nice idea. Um, but anyway, there you go. That's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, uh, let's see. On Thursday this week, I'm doing my talk at the British Council, and I'm going to be recording it for the podcast as well. Um, uh, apparently, it's fully booked. Uh, can you hear my guitar now? Guitar. Yeah, you, sh- sh- you should be able to hear that. Anyway, uh, apparently it's fully booked. So um, I guess if you haven't reserved a seat, then that's it, you know. But you should be able to hear it on the podcast. I'm going to be telling a story and I'm sort of gearing up for it, just preparing myself to deliver this uh, this kind of entertaining story evening thing. So that's going to be fun. And as I said, hopefully I'll record it. And if it sounds okay, I'll publish it. So that should be fun. So that's coming up. Um, That's Thursday. So I'm going to spend the next day or so preparing myself for this one, telling the story of how I got sick in Japan. I've told that story lots of times. It should be okay, but I think I need to be absolutely certain how I'm going to manage the whole event and all the rest of it. So that's going to be fun. But if you can't come to that, then I am doing about 20 minutes of stand-up comedy at the English Comedy Show at the Pan Am Art Cafe on Tuesday the 24th of May. The show starts at 8.30. So the Pan Am Art Cafe is on is on is at 14 Rue de la Fontaine au Roi in the 70 in the 11th arrondissement of Paris. So it's a stand-up comedy show. There'll be a couple of other comedians, but I'm doing a full 20-minute set. It's hosted by Sarah Donnelly, who you might remember from this podcast, and it's going to be very funny, so come along. Tuesday, the 24th of May at 8.30 at the Pan Am Art Cafe, the English comedy show. You'll find the link in the description and on the page for this episode on my website. All right, then. Well, anyway, I will bid you farewell in podcast land. I hope you have a very nice uh, afternoon or morning or evening or night or lunchtime or dinner time or breakfast or drive or jog or swim. Uh, Can you listen to this when you're swimming? I don't know. Or surf or skydive or camel ride or go-kart, sort of Mario Kart experience or roller coaster. Maybe you're on a roller coaster right now. Wow so exciting or you might be jogging you know running with your feet left right left right keep going don't stop jogging just keep jogging okay if that's those are my words of motivation for runners out there just keep running that's it keep going don't stop keep it up that's right maybe you're in the gym you're on one of those machines just you know like what what are you doing you're pumping iron like Arnold Schwarzenegger let's get pumped you're getting pumped up like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Loud, pump it up! Anyway, whatever you're doing out there in podcast land, I hope it's going okay for you. I will speak to you again on the podcast soon, but for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.